Good evening and uh, welcome to our class. We're glad you're here. We have guests with us tonight. We're glad you're here and we appreciate you coming and sharing this time with us. We're going to take just a minute to pray together and then we'll begin our study. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful tonight for blessings that we receive. We know how abundant our blessings are and how consistently you have given us those things that are needed and even more than needed. We praise you and adore you. We glorify your name because it is worthy of all our respect and honor. We acknowledge you not only as the God of creation, but the God who sustains us and gives us reason to live. Father, we are mindful tonight that uh, among the number of our church family, there are people who struggle with different kinds of difficulties. We pray for those who have physical problems and we ask if possible that there might be recovery and that those who take care of them might be encouraged and might be encouragers as well. We are aware that some struggle with other problems and we pray your comfort and blessings on them and help us to be instruments of help when we can be. We know also, Father, that we often fail and so we ask for forgiveness both for those things we know we've done wrong and even for those things of which we may not be aware that we have violated your will. Strengthen us, help us, and, and we pray that you'll be with us tonight as we study. We ask all this through Jesus. Amen. We're studying the book of Daniel, and we've been trying to cover a chapter a week. I want to take just a minute or two to have a sort of a quick review of what we've looked at in the first four chapters. Uh, chapter one, we observe the commitment of Daniel not to defile himself with uh, food and drink which would have uh, evidently been wrong for him. And uh, chapter two, we saw a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and Daniel interpreting that dream. Uh, one of the most significant verses in all of the book of Daniel is found in that second chapter, verse 44, when Daniel says, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the, and the kingdom shall, be left, shall not be left to other people, it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever, the everlasting kingdom. And we recognize that, of course, as the church of our Lord, established uh, in 33 AD. Chapter 3, we saw the faith of those three friends of Daniel who had been given the, the uh, Babylonian names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they faced a trial in a fiery furnace, but God delivered them. 
And then in chapter 4, we saw a second dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And in that dream, we saw a, a powerful lesson that God is in charge, not man. And Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that lesson the hard way. When we come to chapter 5 of Daniel, we really don't know exactly how much time has elapsed between that situation in chapter 4 when Nebuchadnezzar uh, was driven from his rule and lived like an animal for a period of time and then was restored uh, to his reign. Uh, we don't know the time between 437 and 5 verse 1. It could have been as much as 25 years. Um, and some, some commentators would suggest that. But we do know that a change of leadership has occurred. In fact, historically, there had been several changes that had occurred. And for a while, the mention of the man that we will be looking at tonight, Belshazzar, became a problem to some and was a matter of concern for some because his name had not been found anywhere in history. And obviously the critics of the Bible then began to say, well, that just proves that this is all made up stuff. Well, archaeology has always been the friend of the Bible. It's never been the foe. And archaeologists were... were blessed to find inscriptions in which the name Belshazzar was found a number of different times. And so historically it has been validated that he was the king. Now th there is a second problem though associated even with knowing that he is the king and that is that uh, a man by the name of Nabonidus was listed as the last king of Babylon before the Persians overthrew the Babylonians. Um, and it was recorded that he uh, was a part of the surrender to the Medes and the Persians. Um, but, but in 1854, again, archaeology, 1854, a man by the name of J.E. Taylor found an inscription or several inscriptions showing that Belshazzar was the son of Nabonidus and that they co-ruled together. They were co-reign uh, uh, heads of the government. And, and, and it's been further explained that there was a reason for this. Nabonidus uh, was, was at one time actually a priest, uh, an idolatrous priest. But he was very religiously oriented and he cared nothing for government. <laughs> he didn't care about ruling government. And so even though he was a rightful successor to the throne, he chose rather to turn over the what he might have called mundane affairs of government rule uh, to his son Belshazzar. In fact, he didn't even stay in Babylon for... Uh, more than 10 years. He just, he, he, he was not concerned about the seat of government. And incidentally, it, it's kind of interesting, and we'll see this a little bit later in chapter 5. This helps us to explain something that Belshazzar will say to, Nebuch uh, uh, to uh, Daniel. 
If you look at chapter 5 and verse 7, and we'll come back to this obviously in a little bit, um, the, 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 uh, the king is, is making an offer, making a, an opportunity for this writing on the wall, the handwriting to be explained. If you look toward the very end of the verse, it says that the man who did this, he shall be what? The third ruler of the kingdom. If he was the singular ruler, then it doesn't make much sense that he would offer the third rule. But if he is co-ruling, he can't give away the second position. He could only give away the third position. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. I think this chapter helps to reaffirm the idea that's always been true that God rules in the affairs of men. And, and even though men may think that God has nothing to do with them or what becomes of them, uh, God shows differently. Here's how it starts, and, you, and most of you are familiar with this chapter, I know. It starts off with a feast. And let's, let me go through it very quickly, if you don't mind. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of, of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father... I'm going to come back to this, so don't, don't be alarmed. His father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, and that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wife and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. History tells us that when Babylon was overthrown, uh, Darius, uh, the man who would lead the, the overthrow, had besieged the city for three months. And uh, some would ask the question, and incidentally this would be around 539 B.C. This would only be about three years before the Jews would be allowed to return to their homeland after the 70-year captivity. But, but some have questioned why in the world, if they were under siege, would Belshazzar be, given, uh, be giving a feast? And there have been a number of different explanations, some that don't make a lot of sense. Uh, there are some who think that this was an annual celebration, uh, a feast to one of the gods, and that they didn't want to cancel it. I think it's more likely that the explanation that I would assume has been given is that he was so confident that, that he didn't mind partying while his city was under siege. You have to remember that Babylon was so well fortified that it was considered uh, impregnable, that, that nobody was going to get in. It had an outer wall, massive outer wall, an inner wall, and a moat in between. So who was going to get in? Besides that, the river flowed under the city, or through the city, under the wall, and so they had plenty of water. They had stored up enough provisions in Babylon that they could have survived for years. Uh, their historians have recorded that. And, and so 
perhaps to give confidence to his people to say, hey, we, we've got nothing to worry about. Let them just stay out there and they can stay for years if they want. We're okay. He invited a thousand noblemen to, to be a part of this. And in the celebration, he calls for those uh, vessels that had been taken by Nebuchadnezzar uh, from the temple in, uh, in, in Jerusalem to be brought so that they could drink from them. Now, it wasn't like, hey, we've run out of dishes and so we'll have to get some more. This was an intentional thing, perhaps to show his grandeur to his noblemen. We're going to drink from gold and, and silver vessels. But it also may have been something that would say, you know, we're superior. We, we've, we've taken the Jews' things and now we're superior. Let me go back to that thing that says in verse 2, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken. I just got through telling you that Nabonidus was his father. But you have to remember that biblically, uh, sometimes the term father is used of an ancestor, not necessarily a biological father. There were people who called in Jesus' day, what did they say about Abraham? Abraham, our father. Our father Abraham. Well, he wasn't their father, literally. But he was their ancestor. And, and Nebuchadnezzar was an ancestor, obviously, of, of uh, Belshazzar. So, here they are now uh, partying. Incidentally, uh, if you'll turn in your Bible over to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, the 36th chapter. Let me just show you how this is recorded historically. Second Chronicles 36, verses 7, first of all. Nebuchadnezzar also carried off some of the articles from the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his temple in Babylon. And then if you look at verse 10, it says, At the turn of the year, King Nebuchadnezzar summoned him and took him to Babylon with the costly articles from the house of the Lord. And so here are two references to the very fact that Nebuchadnezzar had indeed taken uh, a number of, uh, of uh, gold and costly things. I, I believe in verse 4, when, when you read, they drank wine, praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. That obviously was an insult to God to... to, to have a gold drinking vessel and somehow relate it to an image that had been created also out of gold and to praise the gods of gold and the gods of silver and so on. Now, in the midst of all of this, there's a strange sight. We pick it up in verse 5. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened. You thought Elvis Presley was the first one, didn't you? And his knees knocked against each other, and that's been every man at his wedding, right? Uh, the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king 
spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be third ruler of the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote on the wall. Now, incidentally, ancient inscriptions were often put on walls and um, archaeologists have found plaster uh, from this period of time with inscriptions on that plaster. The writing could not be read, not, not literally not read, that means to be understood. They, they couldn't understand what the significance of what was written actually meant. Uh, and incidentally, is not this probably the place where the expression, I saw the handwriting on the wall comes from? It, it certainly ought to be, I think. Um, verse 6 says, the king was afraid. His knees knocked. And we don't know if it was his guilt or what, that he assumed automatically that the message was bad. In other words, he, he doesn't think this can be good. And, and I don't know if that was guilt or what. So he calls for the enchanters, verse 7. And he made them this offer. I give you a reward and honor. You'll be third ruler in the kingdom if you can explain uh, what's there. And they failed again. Boy, those Babylonian enchanters had a real dismal record, didn't they? They didn't succeed any time they were asked to do something. And this is the second occasion since we've been studying this book. They don't even offer. You know, they could have tried to bluff their way through or lied, but they didn't even make an offer because they couldn't do it. And so in verse 9, King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed and his lords were astonished. So there is consternation here. They don't know what's going on or what to do. And, and then in, in verse 10, uh, Daniel will enter the scene, or at least soon. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. I'll talk about who this is, but she's not there with the others. But evidently hearing commotion and, and some turmoil, she comes. And the queen spoke saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Incidentally, by this time Daniel would be about 80 years old. He, he was a very young person when all of that started. Uh, some say would say as young as 15 or 16. Now he is uh, close to 80. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, let, now let Daniel be called and he will give the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, 
Are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, and that, that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold about your neck, and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. The queen spoken of in verse 10 is likely the mother of Belshazzar. And uh, because it had, we've been told earlier that the lords and his wives were already present uh, at the drinking party. And she says, there is a man. And incidentally, isn't it interesting that she names him Daniel? She calls him by his Jewish name, Daniel. And she references the fact that his name was changed, but she does refer to him by that name. I guess the most puzzling thing to us is, why was Daniel unknown to Belshazzar? Somehow, he dropped into obscurity as far as the king is concerned. And there could be some other reason. We would speculate, and it would only be that if we tried to figure it out. But but for for sure, Belshazzar is not up historically. He doesn't know what he should have known. Twice he says in verse 14 and 16, I have heard of you. Maybe just now heard of you. But, but that's what he says. When Daniel arrived, the king offered a reward to him. Uh, and incidentally, Belshazzar had no way of knowing that he couldn't deliver on that offer. Uh, it, it's really an empty offer. So here comes the interpretation, beginning verse 17. But first Daniel answers in verse 17, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Daniel is not interested in monetary reward. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God, not your gods, the Most High God, gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all people's nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. Whomever he wished, he put down. Pretty powerful man. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was disposed from his king, deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. Uh, They fed him with grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdoms of men and appoints over it whomever he wishes. Here's a lesson from history. But notice, but you, okay, that's that's, that's Nebuchadnezzar. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. Now, that part of it was not a secret. In other words, he surely had known what had happened to his grandfather, that that he had not, I mean, that he had gone through this ordeal. That was historically uh, known. You knew all this. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven, 
They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, uh, who, which do not hear, see or hear or know, and the God of Ho, the God who holds your breath in his hand owns all your ways you have not glorified. That's the God you should have been praising and glorifying. You haven't done it. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written. And these are Aramaic words, Mini, Mini, Tikalu, Farsan. This is the interpretation of each word. Mini, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tikal, you have been weighed in the balances found warning. Pires, which I'll explain in a minute why it's not Upharsin. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Uh, then Nebuchadnezzar gave the command. They clothed Daniel with purple, put a chain of gold around his neck, made a proclamation concerning him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. At least for a little bit. Uh, so Daniel shuns the reward and reviews God's dealings with Nebuchadnezzar and tells him that tells uh, Belshazzar that should have taught you, but it didn't. He makes the charge. Uh, Belshazzar is not excused for being ignorant because he wasn't. He had insulted God. He had failed to humble his heart, just like his grandfather had not humbled his heart. Here's that writing. The first word, mini, comes from perhaps a word, mina, M-I-N-A, which was a coin, or from a verb, mina, M-E-N-A-H, which means to count. Uh, and so there's going to be a play on words here in a minute. Tekel is weighed. T-E-G-E-L is a coin. And it's from T-E-G-A-L, which means to weigh. And so you have counting and weighing. You have uh, money. Farson is the word divided. And the word Pires is the singular form of Eupharsin. It's a half mina. First is a mina. This is a half mina. It's from the word Pires, P-E-R-A-S, to break into or to divide. And so Daniel explains this play on words. You've been numbered, and incidentally the repetition of it, mini mini, means doubly numbered. You have been carefully numbered. You've been weighed on the scale. You're found wanting, and now your kingdom is split, divided, taken away. And here comes the aftermath in verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. The king's reaction, actually in verse 29, surprises us. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't show any great uh, angst about what's been said, but it definitely didn't take long for God to bring this to pass the very same night. Historically, here's how it happened, and this has been recorded uh, by even the Babylonian historians. The Euphrates River, which flowed under that wall, was diverted. And soldiers were able to go into the city in that water. I don't know why Nebuchadnezzar never thought about the fact that it could be diverted, but it was. And soldiers ended. Now, the historian Herodotus says 
that people inside the gates so fed up with with Belshazzar actually opened the doors of the city to the enemy to let them in because they were they were more than tired of the rule of Belshazzar Darius we will talk about next week Darius the Mede took control and he now the Babylonian empire is no more Okay, what do we learn from chapter 5? Well, let me quickly go through some things we learned. Our, we sing a beautiful song, Our God Rules. And that certainly is a lesson here. Our God Rules. Not a man, not, not gods of gold and silver. Our God Rules. Second lesson, history should teach us. Should have taught Belshazzar. And it should teach you and me as well. Uh, in the New Testament, there is clear evidence that inspired writers like Paul believed that people should pick up on what's happened in the past. And, and the two most familiar places are in Romans 15. Romans 15 and verse 4. Whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And then if you look in 1 Corinthians the 10th chapter... Paul goes through a lengthy uh, lesson in which he talks about what happened to the Jewish forefathers as they were in the wilderness. And he says in verse 11, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the end of the ages have come. If we don't learn from history... As you have often heard, we repeat its mistakes. Another lesson. It's foolish to praise gods of gold, iron, and silver, obviously. Another lesson. Pride goes before destruction. That's exactly what Proverbs 16, verse 18 says, isn't it? Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. Um, Another lesson. Some seek help from the wrong people. Belshazzar certainly did that. He, he, like his grandfather, called for the wrong people to tell him what the message meant. And they could not help him. And there are people today who, in the midst of trouble, for some reason, go to the wrong people for their help, and they wind up perhaps even in more trouble. Here's one I don't want us to miss. Sinful people sometimes turn to God's people for help. And let's not pass up those opportunities when they do that. Now, Daniel could have said, you you mean you don't understand what that means? Ha! That's your problem. But he didn't. Now, he had to speak very forthrightly. He had to say what needed to be said. But Daniel was willing to try to help in understanding uh, because a sinful man had turned to him for his help. Many times when people are in trouble, when they've gone through some kind of devastating experience, the loss of a loved one, a marriage falls apart, they're looking for help and they don't really know where to look. That's when we need to step up and do what we can do to help them. Another lesson, truth has to be told. 
Daniel didn't skirt the issue. He didn't sugarcoat anything. He told Belshazzar exactly what had to be told. You know, and, and I hope you understand how I'm trying to say this. It doesn't do any good to tell sinners they're okay. It doesn't do any good to tell unsaved people it's okay to stay unsaved. That's not helpful. We need to tell them what they need to hear, that there is salvation in Christ. Another lesson. We see, don't count on empty promises. One writer says a third of nothing is nothing, right? Yeah, I'll give you a third of the kingdom. Well, that didn't last very long. In fact, not even a day. How about this one? Don't misuse God's vessels. Now, the, the Babylonians were misusing physical vessels of gold and silver and so on. Look at 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. Beginning at verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. In two times in 1 Corinthians, references to temple both as the church collectively and as us individually are given. And in both cases, we are to exercise care in, in the treatment of our bodies and in the treatment of the Lord's body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I think maybe we could add one more. <laughs> Don't wait for the handwriting on the wall. <laughs> you know, by the time that Nebuchadnezzar, I mean that Belshazzar, heard what that meant, wasn't really helpful, was it? I mean, not helpful in the sense because God had already judged him and his arrogance would not be tolerated. Um, sometimes we have warnings that are given to us in time that we can take advantage of them and correct a bad course. Sometimes the warning or the explanation of where we are may be too late. You know, it, sort of like health issues. You go to a doctor and the doctor says, I'm sorry you have cancer, but it's in the very early stages. We can take care of it. And, and that's wonderful. Sometimes people go to a doctor and they hear it's too far gone. It's, it's already spread throughout your body. It's too late. We need to be sure that spiritually we don't wait too long. I, I've said this a number of times, but you know we have heard the old saying that some people who plan to repent at the 11th hour died at 1030. Don't, don't wait. You know, get your life right. Be right with God every day. Okay, we have just a couple of minutes and uh, let me throw it open for you if you want to say something. Anybody? Anything you see that you want to... Yes, ma'am?
Well, and evidently, you know, if 25 years had passed since the time of his grandfather, and and Daniel hasn't, at least recorded in the Bible, hadn't been called on for anything. Uh, yeah, we tend to forget. People get out of the spotlight. Yeah. Good thought. Somebody else? Anybody? Yes. I sort of wondered that. Daniel was appointed chief of magicians, enchanters, and astrologers, yeah. that kind of people. 